Good morning. Would you please pray with me? Loving God, you have so made us that we cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from your mouth. Give us a hunger for your word, and in that food satisfy our daily need. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. The book of the prophet Isaiah tells the long story of Israel under the dominance of one imperial superpower after another, the Assyrian, then the Babylonian, and then the Persian empires. The scripture lesson we heard this morning was likely written just at that time when the rising Persian empire displaced the hated rule of Babylonians. Babylon was so brutal in its domination that the term Babylon has endured in history as shorthand for any rapacious social system. If you recall, it is used in the book of Revelation to refer to imperial Rome and its demand that the emperor be worshipped. Much later in history, Martin Luther used the term to refer to what he saw as an oppressive sacramental system of the Roman church. Babylon has become code for any unexamined dominant ideology that so encompasses everyone that it is like the air we breathe and the water we drink. The purpose of the book of Isaiah is to challenge such prevailing ideologies by perceiving beyond them an alternative reality of God's purpose, promise, and possibility. Its genre, after all, is that of prophecy. What is prophecy? Biblical scholar Walter Brueggemann whom this congregation has invited in years past, before I arrived, to teach and preach. He is best known for his scholarship on biblical prophecy. Prophets, he understands, have the task of redescribing the world. The task of the prophet is to reframe so that we can re-experience the social realities that are right in front of us from a different angle. In this way, a prophet, he says, is like a poet, a poet offering an alternative consciousness and perception of the dominant culture around us. In an interview with Krista Tippett, host of the radio show On Being, Walter Brueggemann speaks about how he was raised in a liberal church tradition to think of the prophets as moral teachers and how, unfortunately, there was no attention given to the artistic, aesthetic quality of their work. But it is the only way, he says, in which you can think outside the box. Otherwise, even liberal passion for justice becomes just another ideology, and it does not have transformative power. Poetic as he is, the prophet Isaiah understands the importance of using our senses to perceive and experience the world around us. If, as Isaiah says, God is about to do a new thing, then it is our job to do all we can to perceive it. 
So he says to the people these words of God, I am about to do a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? Like the prophet Jeremiah, Isaiah is constantly trying to get us to look, to listen, to see, to seek. According to Isaiah, the worst is when our senses are so dulled that we cannot perceive anything beyond what is right in front of us or differently than how we currently perceive things. To those who refuse to seek God, he says, keep listening, but do not comprehend. Keep looking, but do not understand. Make the mind of this people dull and stop their ears, shut their eyes so they may not look with their eyes and listen with their ears and comprehend with their minds and turn and be healed. Addressing Israel at a time when the political, economic, cultural, and religious dimensions of life were saturated by imperial terms, whether they were Assyrian, Babylonian, or Persian, Isaiah summoned them to use their senses to perceive, experience, and imagine reality on different terms, on God's terms. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. One thing the prophet knew for certain was that God's terms, thoughts, and ways are different than those surrounding us. If if we want to perceive and faithfully participate in how God is accomplishing God's purpose, we have to distantiate ourselves, depart from the ideologies and systems that we wittingly and unwittingly engage. This is hard to do. It certainly doesn't come naturally. It takes a lot of intention I have recently been reading Ed Young's latest and very fascinating book, An Immense World. I highly recommend it to you. Ed Young is a science journalist. In his new book, he enthralls the reader with the vast diversity of animal senses and how different animals use their different senses to make sense of and connect to their surroundings, including one another. For over 2,300 years, ever since Aristotle wrote that there are five senses, sight, hearing, smell, taste, and touch, that number has for the most part stuck. More recently, however, sensory biologists are learning that animals have additional senses, some of which are hard to categorize into these buckets. For example, we ourselves have proprioception, the awareness of the positions of each part of our body in three-dimensional space, which is different from touch. And something also we have is called equilibrioception, the sense of balance, which is different from but related to both touch and vision. Rattlesnakes can detect the body heat of their prey but their heat sensors are wired to their brain's visual center. The platypus's bill is loaded with sensors that detect electric fields. In addition 
to connecting animals, including us, to our environments, our senses also constrain us. They limit how we experience our environment. For example, imagine a room in which you find an elephant taking up a lot of space, a mouse scurrying in, a robin hopping alongside it, a bat hanging upside down from the ceiling, a rattlesnake slithering across the floor, a spider on its web in the corner, a mosquito buzzing through the air, a bumblebee sitting upon a potted sunflower, and a human named Rebecca. Ed Young begins his book with a description of this menagerie and what their different senses enable them to perceive and experience about their situation. Listen to just a bit of what he describes. The elephant raises its trunk like a periscope. The rattlesnake flicks out its tongue, and the mosquito cuts through the air with its antenna. All three are smelling the space around them, taking in the floating scents. The elephant smells nothing of note. The rattlesnake detects the trail of the mouse and coils its body in ambush. The mosquito smells the alluring carbon dioxide on Rebecca's breath and the aroma of her skin. It lands on her arm, ready for a meal. But before it can bite, she swats it away, and her slap disturbs the mouse. It squeaks in alarm at a pitch that is audible to the bat, but too high for the elephant to hear. The elephant, meanwhile, unleashes a deep, thunderous rumble too low-pitched for the mouse's ears or the bat's, but felt by the vibration-sensitive belly of the rattlesnake. Rebecca, who is oblivious to both the ultrasonic mouse squeaks and the infrasonic elephant rumbles, listens instead to the robin, which is singing at frequencies better suited to her ears. The robin's chest looks red to Rebecca, but not to the elephant, whose eyes are limited to shades of blue and yellow. The bumblebee can't see red but it is sensitive to the ultraviolet hues that lie beyond the opposite end of the rainbow. The sunflower it sits on has at its center an ultraviolet bullseye, which grabs the attention of both the bird and the bee. The bullseye is invisible to Rebecca, who thinks the flower is only yellow. Her eyes are the sharpest in the room. Unlike the elephant or the bee, she can spot that small spider sitting on its web. But she stops seeing much of anything when the lights in the room go out. This fun description goes on. Ed Young makes his point that though they share the same physical space, these creatures experience it in wondrously different ways. He writes, earth teems with sights and textures, sounds and vibrations, smells and tastes, electric and magnetic fields. But every animal can only tap into a small fraction of reality's fullness. Each is enclosed within its own unique sensory bubble, perceiving but a tiny sliver of an immense world. There is a term this sensory bubble. Taken from German, it is umwelt, which means surrounding or environment. 
The important point to note is that one's umwelt is dependent on one's senses. Just like the animals in the imaginary room, a multitude of creatures could be standing in the same physical space and have completely different umwelten. The other important point to note is that while each umwelt is limited, it doesn't feel that way. Ed Young writes, to us it feels all-encompassing. It is all that we know, and so we easily mistake it for all there is to know. Doesn't this ring true? There is truth to this phenomenon, whether we're talking about the perspective of billions of small songbirds that migrate every autumn, navigating under the cover of darkness but get waylaid by city lights whose beams draw them in, causing them to circle in confusion and wear themselves out, sometimes even crashing into buildings. Or about the different versions of what happened in the 2020 presidential election, depending on the news source that captivates our attention. Or about ideologies that may have begun as ideas with merit, but became so uncritically defended that they now threaten the health of our institutions and society. Ed Young invites the reader to contemplate the Umwelten of other animals, which he describes with appreciation chapter after chapter. The act of delving into other surroundings allows us, he writes, to see further and think more deeply. It helps us to become aware of the limitations of our own thinking and to begin to perceive more of what could be experienced. The contemplation of Umwelten other than our own, other than what is always right in front of our faces, trying to convince us that this is how the world works, is, I think, what the biblical prophet calls us to do. Through poetry, they invite us to perceive more about what is going on in the world in God's Umwelt, because they know that not only did God create the world but also that God is still acting and accomplishing God's purpose in it. Listen carefully to me. Incline your ear. See, seek the Lord, God says. For as the rain and the snow come down from the heaven and do not return there until they have watered the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word that goes out from my mouth, it shall not return empty to me, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and succeed in the thing for which I sent it. This summer in worship, we are spending time reflecting on the whys of our faith, why we worship, why we strive to be a witness in our community, why we practice being church why we invite others to join us. I wanted to preach today on these verses in Isaiah because I wanted to contemplate again the prophetic summons to re-describe the world, to distantiate myself from anything that tries to convince me that the world is and has to be a certain way, and to recommit my faith, my trust, 
in the promise that God's purpose will be accomplished. God's promise is this. I am about to do a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? My question this morning for you is this. Exercising your prophetic imagination, what aspect of the world, as you have been perceiving it these days, needs to be redescribed in the light of God's promise? In the pews, you will find a basket. We encourage you to find a piece of paper there that you might use to record your reflections. We're calling this a personal affirmation of faith because it forms the beginning of our response to Scripture and the Word proclaimed. Your reflection can also be understood as an offering of yourself. And to that end, if you wish, you may place it in the offering plate as it comes by later in the service. Or if you're worshiping online, you may email it to any of your pastors. I invite you now to exercise your prophetic imagination for a few quiet moments. What aspect of the world, as you have been perceiving it these days, needs to be redescribed in light of God's promise?